everybody, welcome to episode 68 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. I'm Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling coming to you from Cedar Falls, Iowa. Joined on the phone by the czar of the track wrestling rankings, David Mercatani. David, welcome back. Thank you, Andy. How are you? Doing great. Yourself? I'm good. It's cold here, but I hear it's colder there. I don't even know what it is outside right now. We got a bunch of snow last night. Gave me a reason to fire up the brand new snowblower I have and get some use out of that. So that was fun. It'd uh, be fun for maybe once or twice and then. <laughs> the, novelty the novelty wears off. Will, yeah, exactly. It will really, really fast, I'm afraid. So uh, it's been a good purchase thus far, though, even though uh, we've had a pretty mild winter. Yeah. On the snow front, at least. Yeah, for sure. Well, David, we got, speaking of snow, we got an avalanche of stuff to talk about this week on the wrestling front. A ton of high school state tournaments coming down the way Uh on track wrestling this week. That time of year has arrived. My favorite time of the year, David. Not only got high school athletes uh, chasing their dreams, you've also got, uh, you know, when February rolls around that March isn't far behind here. So the best time of the year to be a wrestling fan, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and you get to see wrestling from all over the world, but you're right. Like, these kids, there's nothing like just watching a kid maybe win a small school state title with four or five losses and it just be something that propels him and, you know, hopefully her soon to just doing bigger and better things in life from the confidence they get from that journey. Absolutely. And, and as I mentioned, we got a ton of stuff to talk about this week, David. Uh, we can kick things off with the big duel Saturday night in Rec Hall. Uh, we can break down what's going on in the rankings of shifts there. Cable uh, Stevenson versus Daniel Kirkfleet. Um, lots of big stuff on the college front. Yeah. Where did Aaron Brooks picking Penn State? The rich get richer there. Where <laughs> yeah. do you want to go? Where do you want to start this thing? Maybe it's start with Penn State, Ohio State. I mean, I think that's kind of the talk of the weekend, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What What did you think? And normally we text each other during these, but um, we didn't this time. What did you think about the duel? Uh, fabulous duel meet. Incredible atmosphere. Uh, I thought the wrestling was great. I thought, uh, you know, I said a week ago, and I really believed this, I thought the team that won 141 would win the duel, but uh, certainly didn't see 197 playing out the way it did either, kind of to counteract that. But, um I really felt like Carson Kuhn and Corey Keener set a tone for Penn State, that they weren't going to get pushed around. They were in there to fight. And uh, when Kuhn comes out and gets a couple scores early and is right there with Tomasello at the end of the first period, uh, never gave the crowd a chance to go away, really. Yes. And, there, and they kind of kept the crowd in it, even though they were down after three matches. Crowd was never out of it. And then, of course, you got Zane coming up and, uh, you know, basically just mauling people on top. Uh, gave gave Penn State crowd something to get behind. And then, then murderers row after that, after uh, 65, 74, yeah. 80, 84. And, and uh, pretty much the rest of the way, they were in it. And, uh, you know, you, you it felt like, to me, that, that Snyder and Tomasello really opened themselves up uh, for some scores, just knowing that they were going to have to go hard, they were going to have to score some extra points. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more about all that. I think when, you know, Carson Kuhn headlocked Tomasello and, you know, his heel flew into that sign and broke it, you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff you go crazy about when you're a fan. I think, you know, Snyder trying to get a lateral drop, like, it felt like those guys are trying to score 15 points in 15 seconds. And that's the hardest thing to do. I've been in that situation where you know your team needs you, and it's really difficult. What you should be doing is just wrestling your match, and things will open up for you. But those, I mean, those people were so hyped. The guys on both sides were so hyped. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what, like, it's it's pretty much the way you laid it out. I thought was interesting was this, that, you know, really only one match kind of was an upset. Like, 41 was a minor upset, but, you know, 
Ohio State won that match. So you kind of think, oh, well, there's only one upset. Or if, it, if there's two upsets and it goes one apiece, then Ohio, Ohio State's going to win the duel. And that didn't happen. So, um, you know, it looked going in like, okay, Ohio State's going to win 25-33 and, you know, 57-97 heavy. That's what I think most people thought. And Penn State has to win the other five. And, you know, Ohio State was ranked really close to Penn State at 74 and 84 especially. And then they have to not get bonus. And, and it just – it was one of those matches, the more you watched it, you, the more you just like, man, Penn State's going to figure out a way to win this meet. You know, like, I just thought something – I kind of had a weird feeling something was going to happen weird at 97 after Nickel got that major. Like, I just felt like, well, that's not going to be for nothing somehow, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the points at the end of matches, 65, uh, even 49, 49-65. 84. Uh, yeah, all three of 84. them. 84. Uh, Mark Hall finding a way to win that one at 74. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, certainly the crowd was juiced and and uh, gave Penn State a little something extra, I think, in, in some situations. And, and certainly looked like uh, Colin Moore didn't have – the type of energy and, and uh, you know, he wasn't moving quite as well as we normally see him move and putting together the kind of attacks that we're accustomed to seeing him uh, put one after another and kind of wonder if, if, if the environment didn't take something out of him as well. I think it took a, a lot out of a lot of those guys. It seemed like that happened to Miles Martin. Um, it, it looked like that happened to, to Campbell. Uh, and nothing against those other guys that they, you know, like saying like Vincenzo didn't put it on him and Bo didn't put it on him, but it did feel like that that environment just it just sapped him a lot, you know. And I mean, there's you know warming up, there's an art to doing that, and you know when they have, you know, it's one match at a time, and there's commercials, and then there's a break, and you know like you can get warmed up too early and, and burn through your first and second wind, and then just be flat. And I, I think that's what happened you know, to a couple of those guys, all respect to Penn state. They won that thing shorthanded and they, they prove why they're the champs and you got to beat the champ to be the champ. No doubt. The best part about all this, David, we're going to see it two more times, not in a dual meet, but uh, we're going to see these two tangled big tens and NCAA championships. And it's going to be fascinating because you look back uh, the last 20 years or so. And usually by this point in the year, you can kind of get a pretty good idea of who's going to win the national title. Uh, there have been some exceptions, but most years there's been a runaway champion. And uh, Last time there wasn't was when Ohio State won it, right? When Missouri yeah, was think, ranked number one? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. There were some years in there, like like the tournament in Des Moines was incredible, where uh, uh, you had uh, Oklahoma State and Penn State going down the wire. There was a year there, I think, where yeah. – uh, you had three teams in it. I know, um, you know, Oklahoma State, was, uh, Minnesota, and uh, Penn State one year. There was a year, uh, obviously, the, the year that really sticks out to me that was, uh, the, you know, one of the one of the last times the tournament was held here in Iowa, 2001, in Iowa City, when uh, I think Minnesota, Iowa, Oklahoma State were all within like two and a half points going into the final day of the tournament. And, uh, of course, Minnesota took over in numbers uh, one out with, with ten guys still wrestling on Saturday. But uh, And wrestling yeah, we, well on Saturday morning, obviously. Yeah. Yep, yep. But we haven't had it. We haven't had a ton of uh, team drama through the years. So this, this is going to be awesome. Yep. Last, the last uh, month plus here. So, well, David, we might as well take a swing at the Resolite Division One track wrestling rankings here. And we're going to give a shout-out to our friends at Resolite. This podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system, to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Well, David, not a whole lot of changes in the top ten of the track wrestling team rankings here presented by Resolite. I'm just going to take a run through one through ten real quick. 
and maybe a little bit beyond 10. Penn State remains number one, 121.5 projected NCAA advancement and placement points. Ohio State 1.5 back in second with 120. Iowa remains third with 74 points. Missouri fourth with 70.5. North Carolina State checks in at fifth at 61. Michigan sixth at 59.5. Lehigh is seventh at 57. Oklahoma State hurdles Virginia Tech to move back into eighth at 45.5. Virginia Tech is ninth with 40, Wyoming 10th with 38. And then there's a couple right on the heels of the Cowboys, Cornell 11th with 37 and a half. Arizona State 12th with 34 and a half. David, it's time to turn it over to you. Give us a breakdown of the main bullet points in this week's rankings. Okay, so 125, 133, and 165, there were very, very few changes, like just maybe a guy here or there, not really negligible. Uh, At 285, the main thing that happened was we were able to move Michael Boykin up because we we didn't really know where to rank him because we didn't know who was starting for North Carolina State, but he beat Ryan Solomon, so he was able to go from, you know, 25 to 16, we had him at 25 just because we thought he needed to be ranked. We really just – it was hard to determine where. At 157, Solomon Chisco has moved up. Um, we confirmed that with Virginia Tech. So um, he slotted right in behind Kennedy Monday, who he lost to in overtime over the weekend. So gave us a really easy starting point for him. Uh, at 174, Ethan Ramos and Yoante Mejias both lost. So those guys were all in that nine through uh, – Ramos was nine and, and Mejias was 12, and they dropped to 12 and 13 respectively. And we'll be keeping an eye out on Kimball Bastian and Hunter Boland, who beat those two guys, to see if, if as their body of work continues, those guys deserve to come in. 149, uh, Troy Heilman and Kalaznik lost. So they both dropped a couple spots. Ryan Blees, who's the Oklahoma State transfer, um, beat Heilman in overtime. So we're going to look. We put him in uh, at 22, but he's 13 and one. His record's not 13 and one, but he's 13 and one at 149. Not in the, he had wrestled some at 157. So um, we'll probably do an evaluation of that. Uh, and then the other thing is Jason Sertz has just beat Maruka. Uh, two out of three in the wrestle-offs. I confirmed that today as well. So we will re-rank Sertzis next week, um, you know, and, and, you know, assuming he stays there the rest of the year. But I think that is a lot like 197 at Penn State where, you know, they've got two quality guys. Penn State actually has three, you know, and, you know, so there might not be – they might not be done there. At 197 um, – actually, let's go to 141. So at 141 – Dean Heil beat Josh Albert and sort of, you know, stopped the slide. He slides back up to six from nine, and it sort of feels like that's where he belongs. It really feels like, at least in my mind, that he he's, should be fifth, but Brock Zacherl's undefeated and Heil's lost four matches. Uh, McKenna beat Lee, so McKenna went from 11 to seven, and Lee dropped from six to eight. Uh, and then Carter Happel pinned Tommy Thorne. Headley lost to Brent Morris. Zanetta lost to Jamel Morris. So there was some activity there. Last one is 197. And this this was could have gone a couple different ways. We moved Ben Darmstead up from 3 to 1. And the argument for him is he hasn't lost since November 12th. And he's pinning a lot of people. Um, and he's beaten guys like Willie Miklas. And I think you saw that match. I think he majored Willie Miklas, if, if I remember you telling me that correctly. I know. Yep. Okay. And so it wasn't even like a 19 to 10 match where he was ever in trouble. 9-0 is really dominant. Uh, you could make an argument for Colin Moore because he only has one loss. He lost to Kassar. By the way, his name is pronounced Kassar and not Kasser. I confirmed that this morning with Cody Sanderson as well. Um, this was tricky because what when there's two guys like this, what I feel we should do is rank the guy – that has the higher, that has the best body of work, the best resume. If you rank Kassar and Rashid head-to-head, Rashid's body of work is better just against Kassar. 
But then if you rank them against the field, Rashid doesn't have a win like Kassar does with Colin Moore. So we ranked Kassar because he's got the better body of work and because he just – or the better rankable body of work and because he just beat Colin Moore. We put Moore at two. Hot's lost to Moore, so that's three. We kept Hot ahead of Nicholas, even though he's lost to him because of body of work. Nicholas has a couple strange losses. Nicholas beat Weigel, so he goes above him. And then Kassar goes to six, Machiavello to seven. I'm going to be really interested to see where Frank Mattiase gets seated at Nationals because he's got, you know, some a couple big wins in there. You know, yeah, he's the only got to beat Darmstead, yep. And he beat um, – God, who else did he beat? He beat – I'm drawing a blank right now, but he beat somebody else in the top – you know, another top-ranked guy. Maybe it's maybe he beat Rashid, if I remember correctly. But yeah, he beat Darmstead. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting to see how how that weight class gets sorted out. And you know, obviously there's a lot more wrestling to go, but uh, it does feel like they're probably. You know, what's interesting about that weight is a lot of those guys are in different qualifying conferences. You know, Darmstead's EIWA, Colin Moore Big Ten. Hot ACC, Nicholas Mack, Weigel, Big 12. So a lot of these guys, you know, not, now obviously Kassar will hit, you know, in the, he'll hit Colin Moore, and Machiavello would hit Hot, you know, and then Pennsylvania is out east as well, and then you obviously start getting in other things. But it's not, there's not a lot of weights where the top five guys are all from different conferences. So, you know, wherever the NCA would seed them today, theoretically, it's possible that a lot of these these could hold till the end of the year. I know Ohio State duels North Carolina State. When Obi Blanc was on, he told me that. So Colin Moore will wrestle Machiavello along with some other matches. But that that feels like you know that could probably be one thing that could change things as well. And I, it, it was tempting just to give Colin Moore a mulligan because he's been so good this year, but. Um, you know, this is that – it's like when they do the NCAA football rankings, right? Like it's better to lose early than lose late, right? Yep, yep. <coughs> yeah, so I pulled up Matty Ace's bio here. Okay. And he has a loss to Anthony Kassar at the Keystone Classic. Okay. Uh, he has a loss to Jake Jacobson of Lehigh. He has a loss to Cash Wilkie of Iowa. And he has won everything else. Uh, he has victories, as we mentioned, went over Ben Darmstadt, 14-6 major at the Jonathan Kaluska Bearcat Open back on November 12th. Uh, also has wins at the Midlands over, and I posted one over Nate Rodert in the semifinals, got a win over Rocco K. Wood, win over Nathan Traxler. Uh, but uh, the looking at Mark loss Elins, kills him. The Jacobson Mark, loss is what really kills him. You know, in terms of rankings, so the the win over Ben Darmstadt is is clearly his marquee victory this season, though. For sure, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So, anything else on the rankings? No, no. It was uh, it was. I was happy because with Super Bowl, we were able to. My friend and I were able to get them done and actually get them to you on Sunday night. So that was nice. Well, that'll wrap up the rankings portion of the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From Resolite Sip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint Mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, mat company. David, where do you want to go? Uh, let's. I was having a greatest of all time conversation with uh, my friend Mark Ostrander. We were talking about four timers and three timers and old school guys like Uitaki. And we said something that I think is interesting. Kyle Snyder, if you combine his collegiate career and then what he has done as a collegiate during those collegiate years internationally, Assuming he wins the NCAs this year, I think may have the strongest argument for being the greatest American college wrestler ever. And it's super likely he's never going to win the Hodge. And I think, 
I think that's that to me is fascinating. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, like I mean, it's like the guys who go in the Hall of Fame but maybe never won the MVP in any one year. They were just great. I also think Kyvin Gadsden's going to be end up being the answer to a trivia question 10, 15, 20 years from now. Like, who's the guy that won the bracket that, you know, if, if they had won, Snyder or Jaden Cox would have been four-timers. So, and then we were also talking about, I think Snyder would be the greatest 285 of all time because he'd be the only three-timer. Um where would you put Zane in the conversation of greatest 142, 149s of all time? Man, he's got to be up there. I mean, he's going to – he finishes this thing off the way he's going. You're looking at 5-1-1-1 with a win over Steber as a freshman and then total dominance Yeah. after the red shirt. Massive bonus points, right? Incredible. I mean, yeah. Incredible. I – I can't think of anybody, David, in the last 20 years. And I, like, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. Mm-hmm. But can you think of anybody in the last 20 years or so that, like, puts that much pressure on somebody on the bottom? And the torque that he puts on so many different parts of the body, like he's, you know, pulling at your face, twisting your head, um, the bow and arrow, like it's head to toe pressure. Yeah. And. Man, I think I'd rather walk across a bed of nails and, and then across broken glass through fire than spend two minutes underneath that guy. Well, and then he picked top against Keyshawn. You're like, oh, Lord. You know, like, this, is, this, this guy's not going to walk right for a day and a half. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, you think about some of the guys that have been great pinners or turners, you know, like, and, and I'm sure I'm missing guys, but like a Ben Askren, like a Ed Ruth, like a David Taylor. Um, they did it in different ways. Steber with that tilt series, uh, you know, and you look at a Spencer Lee and he could end up being like a, a Steber kind of point scoring guy, but they, none of those seem as painful as Zane, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and inflicting pain is another form of technique. It's just, it really, it sucks a lot more for the guy on bottom. So I mean, I looked up a bunch of the two- and three-timers, and I think Zane's right up there. I think he'd be the number one guy if you looked. At least there'd be an argument for it. Um, I, I Yeah, I just found it fascinating that Snyder's probably not going to ever win the Hodge. I mean, there's reasons for it, obviously. I'm not saying, like, somebody got the voting wrong. but Can you, can you name Kyle Snyder's four losses in college? Four losses. Uh, I can name two of them. Nathan Burak. Okay. Uh, did he lose to Matt McCutcheon? No. Okay. He lost to uh, he lost to Kevin Gadsden. Yep. I don't know the other two. He lost to Kevin Gadsden twice. He lost to Kevin Gadsden out in Vegas that year and the NCAA finals. He lost to Nathan Burak in one of the goofiest matches. Yeah, injury time. You know, yeah, yeah, injury time. A uh, uh, couple escapes, right? Yeah. And what's the and, fourth uh, loss? Morgan McIntosh, Big Ten Finals. You had the right team. You had the wrong guy. Oh, I don't get. I get half credit for that. Right. I think. Okay. All right. So. All right. I think I get like two half credits. I didn't know Gadsden was twice. So. All right, we'll give you three out of four. Yeah, that's that's very liberal math. I'll take it. That gets me a C. So instead of an F. Yeah, that's. It's just crazy, you know. Like. You know, I mean, he's just. Amazing. I think like there's kind of some golden age stuff going on here. Like there's some years you see guys and like they come out of nowhere and win it as a senior, and that's awesome. Like no no disrespect, but there's a bunch of guys going right now that will end up being. It feels like they could end up being all time greats at several weight classes. You know, I mean, nobody is talking about Imar or Dean Heil. They're they're going for three titles this year. I know. And Imar's going for one one two one, right? Yep. And Heil's going for four one one one, so you know. And obviously, what Nolf has, has done. I mean, you got Vincenzo and Hall, you know, eligible for four. Nickel eligible for two one one one. I mean, that, that's that's all time great kind of stuff. You know. Yeah, and it feels it feels like there's another wave right behind these guys too. Like the, you know, we're in an era now 
that, uh, and we're going to be talking about some of these guys for the rest of our lives. Yeah. You know, that, that after we're gone, people are going to be talking about these guys as all-time great. Yeah, there just won't be anybody as good to report it as you after you're gone, but I get it. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. They're sure they're probably well. Somebody who can type faster anyway, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess you brought up something, and then I kind of piled on to when we were talking on the phone. You said, when's the last time a returning finalist has been teched twice the next season? You were talking I about can't. Ethan yeah. Lezak. And I asked you, when's the last time you saw a two-time defending champ lose four matches the next season with Heil? And so, I mean, it feels like there's a lot of historical things going on right now. I mean, but like you said, you don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but it feels like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can't recall anything. Like, it's it's one thing maybe you could go back and find a finalist that, that got pinned twice, but teched twice. Yeah, uh, and, you know, and tech is you can't get lucky. And on attack, right? I mean, if you tech yeah. me, you were just way better at that time. Yeah. So if any of you out there, you people that follow wrestling history, that know a lot about it, uh, and you have the answer to those questions, fire them our way. Get in touch with us yeah. you know, on Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be, whatever uh, social media channels you have. Yeah. We would love to know that stuff. This is where I miss Jay Hammond. I don't know if you knew Jay Hammond. I either. did. My dad knew Jay real well, yeah. Yeah, that guy knew everything. Like, like for the longest time, like, uh, you know, Jay would – I would search online for stuff, and then I would never find it. I would look in our our archives at at either the Press Citizen or the Des Moines Register or, or, you know, get on Google or LexisNexis or NexisLexis. I can't even remember which goes first in that order. But uh, uh, ultimately, I'd wind up going to Jay, and Jay would have the answer. (laughs) We would have the answer almost immediately. It was always quicker, too. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, so finally I just I stopped messing around with the other stuff. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of you, you know, maybe a lot of our listeners probably might not know Jay, but uh, probably know his work. He, you know, I was one of the, you know, co-authors, you know, a bunch of co-authors. Jay compiled the book, The, the History of Collegiate Wrestling, and um, I don't know when that came out, maybe about 10 years ago, and it's a fascinating look back at some of the top uh, wrestlers in, in the history of the sport to come through college wrestling. And then you know, a lot of people probably know his site, wrestlingstats.com. Jay founded that site, and it's got uh, you know basically every bracket from 1928 to 2016 is, is up there right now from the NCAA championships. It's got uh, conference tournament brackets, uh, EIWA, Big Ten, Big Twelve. It's just an incredible resource. So, yeah, uh, for sure. It's uh, awesome when you can leave a legacy like that. That after you're gone, people are still talking about you and still, uh, you know, feel your work. So he was he was somebody that uh, meant a lot to the, you know, the sport of college wrestling, sport of wrestling as a whole. Made it easier to enjoy. Yeah, that's, yep. an, that's an unbelievable legacy to leave behind for sure. Yeah, most definitely. So um, I, I have to brag to you a little bit. I pointed this out a couple weeks ago. Tom Brands is the best challenger in college wrestling, and he did it again this weekend twice. So, yeah, you got the Carter Happel locked hands. Yes. Against uh, Tommy Thorne, which directly resulted. Proved, <laughs> yeah. Proved to be a big point. I mean, yeah, you see the result, and Carter Happel pinned him, and you wonder, well, what does locked hands have to do with anything there? But – it made it a one-point match where when Happel was in on the inside trip at the end, Thorne, uh, Thorne couldn't just concede the takedown That's at that right. point. That's right. Yeah, for sure. And then he got the headgear pull, right, on Sorensen? Uh, was that challenged? Did Tom, I, I didn't uh, – was that one that, that, that I was, was challenged? That was challenged, yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. So he's whatever – and it feels like he's whatever an O this season. Um, he's killing it. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I wasn't sure if, I wasn't sure if that was an Iowa challenge or, or whether that was called on the mat initially in Northwestern challenge, but, but, uh, Tom has lost one. He lost the Miles Martin challenge on the leg Turk. Oh, remember where they gave eight sets of backs there? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, everybody that, uh, everybody else that I, I talked to yeah, and that, that I saw on social media and you heard Jim Gibbons on the call. 
thought that it should have been reversed. Yeah. You know, I don't know what your perspective was on that, but uh, but anyway, your point's well taken. Tom Brands is good at uh, and throwing the brick when, yeah. it's, when it's time. He's something in one, not something in O, but still very impressive, and and he's making a big difference in those matches. They're not minor challenges, you know, so it's impressive. So Speaking of impressive, David, Spencer Lee's first periods this year <laughs> have been unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of points that he's putting on the board early and, and coming out and scoring in the first 10, 15, 20 seconds, too, it's been really impressive. Right. But, uh, you know, we had a chance, Kyle Klingman and I, we just started a little video segment that uh, we're going to do each week called the Weekend Rapid Recap. We had Dan Gable on the show yesterday with us, on Monday with us, I should say, and uh you know, we talked about Spencer a little bit and uh, trying to break through that barrier in the third period. It's been interesting because we've seen his only loss occurred on day two of a two-day weigh-in, the only one that he's had so far. Uh, we've seen this was his first Friday-Sunday turnaround, absolutely lights out Friday against Ethan Lezak, and pretty doggone impressive Sunday for the first two periods against Sebastian Rivera, or the first period at least, and uh then kind of some hiccups that he's dealing with in the third a little bit. What do you see in there? Well, first of all, sidebar, I think Sebastian Rivera is pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's the first time I saw him wrestle live, and, you know, he, I think he's impressive. But to try to get to your question, I don't know if it's nerves. I mean, you certainly know it's not cardio, like in traditional, like he's not in shape cardio, right? And I mean, at least I would strongly believe that. And I think you'd strongly believe that he's working hard in practice, um, but he's lost three third periods. He lost the third period to Rivera, to Piccinini, and to Tomasello. So, I mean, it's – I guess he didn't lose the third period to Tomasello because Tomasello cut him, he took him down, cut him, so it was a tie. But, I mean, it sure felt like he lost it. But, anyway, um, it, I don't know. I mean, I think guys are going to try to stall against him if they think that's a real issue and just hang out and play the edge and, you know, try not to get pushed out and try to keep that match. You know, like I think if you're wrestling him, you try to go zero zero and you pick neutral and you try, you know, make him pick down to get the point. I think, I mean, I think that's what you'd have to do. You know, I mean, that's, that's a lot easier said than done, but the other thing is to get taken down like Ethan Lezak and two minutes and 58 seconds later, it's 14 to nothing. So, I mean, clearly that ain't the right way to go about it. Uh, but if he gets whatever the, the, the breathing or cardio issue out of the way. Or routine, whatever yeah, it is. Whatever nutrition, it is. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Yes. Nutrition, nerves, whatever. And it's hard to believe he'd be nervous with everything he's won. But, you know, these are still 18, 19 year old kids. Whatever it is. If he gets that straightened out, look know, out. As my dad would say, Katie by the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, look out for sure. So, yeah, that was uh, that was incredible. The beating that he put on Lezak in all three positions there. I, what impressed you know? me was his bottom. Was he was so methodical down there, like closing pockets and not getting sucked back and not getting stretched and extended. And you teach kids that from a very young age, like. You know, when you're compact, you're powerful, and when you're stretched out or elongated, you're weak. And then people remember that till they start rolling around. And he remembered that while he was rolling around. So, I mean, that's how Lezak gets you. He stretches you out, gets a little underhook, you know, pulls you back, grabs a chin, just kind of pulls you into him, gets two counts or four counts. It's a bunch of stuff where he scores points off of your movements. And, you know, if you move – the way he wants you to move, that's uh, it's a long it's a long day down there. I mean, it's it's a jujitsu style of riding almost. And, and my dad taught taught me and a bunch of guys that style. And it's it's really good if you're not strong. Like I was really weak when I first started wrestling, and it was the only way I could ride guys. Um, but I I could turn guys who were a lot stronger than me because they just kept flying around all over the place. And if you just kind of saddle them up and hang on and just while they're flailing around, you just pause them there for a few seconds, you can get points. So uh, you could tell he definitely had a game plan on that for sure. How do you regroup if you're Minnesota with Ethan, Ethan Lezak at this point? You've been tech twice. 
Uh, you haven't been able to get you your bread and butter stuff. Haven't won in those positions against if I'm coaching, guys like Tomasello and, Nathan, and, and Spencer Lee. Yeah, if I'm coaching Ethan Lezak, I tell him, look, you're, you're the best guy in the country. You were in the national finals last year. You never got to your best position, and you still almost won. You just got to get to where you're good because when you wrestle right, you've already proven you can win that tournament. You know, at least get to the finals. And, you know, you're, you lost to a guy that you had beaten earlier in the same season, same calendar year. So, you know, you've got to draw on those victories. And certainly you've got to fix some things technically, but you're not going to make a gigantic technical jump from February 6th to, you know, March 17th. It's really more about believing in yourself and doing the minor things, you know, technique-wise to just clean things up. I think the couple of the matches I've watched, you know, when you're down that – here's the other thing is obviously try to get the first takedown. I mean, because when you're down that much, it's a lot easier to not get turned. You know, like if somehow Keyshawn Hayes was up 10-1 to 1 against – Zane, I'm still not sure he could stop him, but it'd be a lot easier because you just you challenge the ref to hit you for stalling enough times. You know he's you know Lezak's in the spot where he's riding me, and I know I just I got a big lead. So if he can just keep the first period to minimal damage, you know if if you're watching Ethan Lezak and he's losing two one at the end of the first period, I think you'd bet on him against almost anybody. I mean there might be a few guys you don't, but I mean, it's when these guys get off and running, that's, it's hard to stop anybody, no matter how good you are in, in one position. Well, David, we got some stuff on the high school end to get to. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else left on the college plate that you want to touch before we, we move on here quick? Uh, just real quickly, like Michigan, three little things. You know, the, I, I saw the Kevin Beasley upset by Schultz, and, like, the thing that ran through my head was, well, you know, Michigan, if he had to lose a match, good thing for Michigan. He lost that one and beat Wilkie. Stevin From Misick, a dual purpose. Yeah, dual right, purposes, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stevin Misick looks like a completely different dude since Vegas. Like, he's wrestled like the second best guy in the country at that weight, you know, since then. And Logan Massa got a big win against Isaiah White. I think he just needed to get a win. So I think those were important things. Um, and then selfishly, I thought it was cool to watch Max Thompson wrestle Bulu Wallen because they were both in our event a couple of years ago. So that was, they were obviously on the same team then. Um, so that was interesting. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll probably talk a little bit collegiately about, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about the store thing and a little bit about Aaron Brooks if you want to. Well, let's, uh, Let's segue into Aaron Brooks picking Penn State and uh, Rich Get Richer. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think he's got a ton of ability. Obviously, a cadet world champ, and that, that kind of state, you know, I'm kind of stating the obvious there. But, uh, man, the first match that he wrestled over in Greece, I was like, holy smokes. He came out, and I haven't seen anyone go that hard as he did. It, it's. If you can go back and if you, if you purchase the uh, Cadet World Championships, go back and watch the first round match that Aaron Brooks wrestled against the Georgian because I don't know how many times he circled around the center circle. Like he he never stopped moving the entire match, and I think probably after about eighty seconds, sixty to eighty seconds into the match, you could see the look on the Georgian's face was like, I do not like wrestling this guy, <laughs> and it was fourteen two. The Georgians' only two points were a shin wizard, a Jonesy, yeah. that Brooks hit that the officials overseas just had never seen it, and they, they called it two and two. Or uh, So it should have been later in the tournament when they knew what they were looking for. He, he got, you know, they were just uh, Brooks's points. But, man, he combines. When, when you take his athleticism, his skill, and his pace and combine them together, you got something really special. And I think uh, that's it. That's a heck of a gift for Penn State. And then you combine him in with, uh, A, the guys that they already have on the roster. Uh, so you're, you're only subtracting pretty much what, what uh, I think, Kuhn at 25 and, and uh, Zane, obviously, at 149. And then uh, 
you know, came into the year thought McCutcheon was going to be their guy at 97, but uh, then you're adding Brody Teske, who's going for his fourth title in Iowa, Gavin Teasdale going for his fourth title in Pennsylvania, Roman Bravo Young, I think, is going for his fourth in Arizona, uh, all marquee lightweight recruits. Uh, then you've got, um, what, you got Nick Lee's brother Joe, uh-huh. um, Seth Neville's, uh-huh. uh, Michael Beard. It's maybe the best recruiting class that's ever been assembled. I don't, I don't know. It's, it, I cannot remember this many top flight guys in one class ever before. And, and to think that, uh, they had Whitlake as part of it too. Right, so, and obviously, if they had Whitlake, they wouldn't have gotten Brooks. I don't think. Maybe, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. We don't know, but uh, at this point, you don't like. I don't assume anything when it comes to Penn State recruiting. I mean, they they just keep bringing in one yeah. one top flight guy after another. So, uh, man, what a heck of a gift for Kale and company there. Yeah, and they get to use. You know, he, he's going to do that OTC year, so he technically, I guess, depends how you look at it. He'll be they can use the money that they're going to lose or they're going to get when like the Bo Nickel class graduates to get Brooks. Yeah. So that helps, that helps with the guys you were talking about, you know, so that's a big, that's a big help for them, you know? So, um, yeah, he's awfully talented. I think I told you this at the time, Lee Pritz told me that guy brought his own flag over there. Like my, my, that dude had plans from jump street to win that tournament. So, that's, that's crazy. You know, that's, that's to me one of the best stories of 2017. Aaron Brooks. <laughs> Ultimate, doesn't, right? Doesn't yeah. make the Cadet World Team and wins the Cadet World title. I, I thought that was I thought that was one of the best stories of the year. Yeah, it's like Severato. In dominant, right? dominant yeah. fashion, too. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like he squeaked by anybody over there. Just throttling people, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was interesting. And then, you know, you you talked about this. Um, what's funny is one of the guys I went to high school with never wrestled. Penn always teased me about wrestling. Now he lives in Minnesota, and his kids wrestle. And he's texting me about the Gable Stevenson uh, Kirkfleet match. Like, like, did you know these guys are wrestling up here? I'm like, yeah, it's my job to know about that. But that was an awfully, awfully impressive match too, and that that crowd looked like it was really into it as well. This has been uh, such a fun high school wrestling season with guys just putting it on the line. Thompson, Brody Teske, Alex Thompson doing it twice here in Iowa. Uh, Stevenson, Kirk Vliet, um, you know, probably rattle off a dozen others, but uh, we have been treated to some highly entertaining stuff on the high school front this year. Yeah, yeah, and it, super high-level stuff, and then like you said – you know, the next three, four weekends of the year, like basically all 50 state tournaments happen. You know, like here in Missouri, it's districts this coming weekend and state the next weekend. And, you know, I'll be down there for that. And I'll be at one of the districts, at least on Saturday, to watch the finals. It's, I I think, you know, we get spoiled. We see all this super high level stuff. We get to talk to all these. You're talking to Dan Gable as part of your job, you know, like I'm talking to Travell Delagnev and the Cody Sandersons and all those people in the world. Sometimes wrestling's just like at that base level. Like when you're talking about, uh, I think it was Ference watching Iowa City wrestle. Iowa City, yeah, yep, yep. yeah, his alma like, mater. Just, but like he could his be watching off. anything. Yeah, but week he could be watching any wrestling match in the world, and he's picking his high school. You know, like he's yeah. not watching Uregan, you know, or something like that. Like I think that that's what people love about wrestling is just the just the small town, that kind of stuff, like that Perry, Oklahoma kind of feel, you know, yeah. like that stuff. And, you know, I didn't grow up in a small town, so I'm not sure I really, really appreciate it. But I, I think I'm trying to, and I think I'm seeing it more and more that way. Well, David, we got some big stuff coming down this week. The beginning of the high school onslaught, the Avalanche of high school state tournaments coming up. We are kicking it off this week with – State championships in Montana, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, Georgia, Delaware, and then a huge rush of championships coming the rest of the month and then spilling into March. Right. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, like I said, best time of year. Um, When you talk about about your memories from this, what what are things that pop out to you? 
whether it be as a coach or whether it be as an athlete, what are what are your favorite recollections from high school state tournaments? Uh, my mom, my senior year, um, which is 30 years ago to this year, used to carry around this 45-pound old-school camera, little five-foot-two lady, and she record every match. And uh, my senior year, I won my third title, and I came up, and my mom's this really calm woman, and she just she's you know screaming, "I love you, I love you, so proud of you." And then the next day, I watched the film, and uh, she normally she's yelling moves the whole time, and there's no there's nothing from her, but there's volume, like you can hear the crowd. And I said, "Mom, what happened?" She goes, "I couldn't stop praying the whole time." <laughs> She said, I just prayed for you, baby, because I wanted, you know, you deserved it. And so I, I get emotional when I think about that. Um, I recruited for a lot of years, and I'd always go to the Missouri State Tournament and try to go to the Illinois State Tournament. And, you know, there's a lot of kids I recruited that won those tournaments, obviously. I think just watching those guys do that, you know, just watching them and knowing what it's like to win that tournament, there's a lot of pressure once you win it to keep winning it, you know. Um, you know, like, you, you know, you're very close to the Teskey-Thompson situation. Like, th that match, th those two matches they wrestled against each other, in one form is the least amount of pressure they'll have all year. Because if, they, if either one of them lost that match, it's at least somewhat explainable. You know, like, if they lose at the state tournament, it's almost a no-win for them, you know, and that's how I felt. You know, like I, two of my three years, I wrestled a guy that I had teched earlier in the year in the state finals. You're just trying not to get called for a slam. You know, you just you just want nothing goofy to happen. But watching teams, you know, I'm there, I'm friends with some guys here in St. Louis that have a chance to to do some crazy things. Whitfield here in, in Class One has a chance to break the all-time point record. CBC has a chance to win that school's first state title. Um, you know, my, I have friends at Park Hill, and they're going to be battling for that. And Staley, where Gary Mayab was at, those three will be battling out in, in big schools here. But it's all the little stories, you know. All, it's just – and it's I, it's like you walk in, and all, like, school X always sits in the same section, kind of like nationals, right? You know, like, you know, the Cornell people are always sitting in one spot, and Penn State high school is the same way. So – um, you know, my perspective going this year will be really unique to me because I've never gone down there as media. I've always gone down there to either wrestle or to recruit. So um, I, I'm, you know, I'll try to do my best to do a good job. And most importantly, it's just going to be hard to not get caught up a little bit in the emotions of it. But um, probably a little bit caught up is probably good. Is probably good theater, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh... So, like I said, great time of year, and uh, we're really looking forward to all the state tournaments we're going to have on track wrestling during the next month. It's going to be a lot of fun. Anything else today this week, David? Um, we're putting together the matchups for that charity event, Battle for Missouri, and we're really close to an unbelievable pro main event match. I'm hoping to be able to announce that next week. I think even a guy like you that doesn't get impressed by much. I'll be a little bit excited if I can put the, put this match on the card, and that event will be on, on be streamed on Track Wrestling as well. Oh, awesome! And, and Cody Sanderson. Cody Sanderson's yep. coming on Matt Chat. I can't believe I buried the lead. Yeah. So I talked to him today, and um, he's been very accommodating, and uh, which is nice because normally those guys are, are pretty private. So um, one other plug, real quick, before we sign off, David. Maybe one of the most incredible high school wrestling stories that I've ever heard that I'm going to write, that I'm writing about for this week's high school insider. Okay. Kid by the name of Justin Sears out in Ohio is wrestling with lung cancer right now. His senior season is going to go in after the season and have surgery to remove this mass in his chest. Uh, right, right now he's 11 and three. All 11 of his wins are by Penn and tech. Likes to get out there, get it over as soon as possible. He's had, uh, I think he said, seven bouts with pneumonia in the last two years. They thought it was, you know, pneumonia, asthma related, and, and it really didn't make much sense to him. It didn't add up. Uh, they went in finally in December and did a CT scan and discovered uh, the mass in there. And uh, he said he's actually feeling better now than he was before because uh, without the pneumonia, he can breathe a lot better. And, uh 
you know, he's got such a positive attitude about it. And uh, talking to Randy Jenkins, the coach, his high school coach, he, I, I said to him, I said, I bet you don't have as many complaints about little injuries this year, about hard weight cuts and things like that. He said, yeah, it's been almost non that stuff's been almost non-existent when you get a guy that uh, is out there wrestling with lung cancer in a sport that demands so much out of your lungs to begin with. Uh, kind of hard to complain about aches and pains. Real so recognizes been, real. Yeah, That's he's as been, real as it gets right there. Yeah. He's been uh, – it's, it's a really inspiring story. It's been cool that uh, the last couple of weeks I've had the, the opportunity to tell some of those. Uh, Jason Baker out in Pennsylvania, a guy that uh, wrestles in the Young Guns Club, Yeah, was a PA junior high state champ. Uh, after his eighth grade year, uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor, missed all of his freshman year, came back um, this year. I, th- I think he's like 27. Or he was 27 and 6 as of last week, hoping to uh, make it to the state tournament and get on the podium. But, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about the superstars in our sport, but there are some amazing stories coast to coast, kids that uh, a casual fan has probably never heard of and, and uh, it's been – but a blessing for me to be able to uh, have a chance to talk to Jason uh, last week and Justin this week and, and tell their stories. It, uh, it's uplifting stuff. So be sure to check that stuff out on track wrestling. David, we got to wrap this thing up. Anything else for this week? No, sir. Good luck to all the kids wrestling in districts and states and sectionals and whatever else you guys call your stuff. Go chase your dreams, fellas, and cut it loose. Don't hold back. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton. For David Mercatani, I'm Andy Hamilton. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week.